I'm your host, The Weeb. This is the show where every other week I'll be talking about anime, manga, and everything in between. This week I'll be talking about following the series we are doing about the trend of heron, redhead, heroines, itchy anime of the 2010s. Today we will be talking about Shimai Mao no Testament or the Testament of Sister New Devil. I think that's a bad translation. I think the Testament of New Devil Sister would be better, but Oh well, so is life. So I'll be talking about this, about the anime, and already going on to the disclaimers, uh, spoiler alert, I'll be talking about the whole anime, whole, the whole series we have, two seasons and a special, um, major special, let's say, with 60 minutes, basically a movie, but they released on TV from what I gather, so I don't know if they change the classification or not whatever the second disclaimer and this is a major one as i already said in the first first episode in the series as a blanket statement i don't actually recommend any of this anime i'll be talking about to anyone in the basis that they are not family friendly let's say so for most of it it's better if I just uh, don't talk about it, but if you want to watch it for whatever reason, please do. I have no, let's say, actual opinion nowadays because the th these are really, at this point, old anime. And also because the, the whole thing has gotten so twisted nowadays that anything you, you see here, you may find in some other anime newer to this and maybe more interesting. So, basically, if you want to watch it, watch it, but again, I don't actually recommend it, I leave it as a point of reference if you want to see something in this genre, and that's basically it for disclaimers. So, before I even start with the story, let's get to the stats. So, Chimaima Uno Testament is originally a light novel written by Uesu Tetsuto, Published by Kadokawa Shoten and illustrated by Okuma Nekozumke. The original run was from September 2012 to March 2021. 2012 it was 4 years newer than the original run from High School DxD. So I, again, it's one of the cases that I can't say it's a derivative from it, but certainly there is a Maybe there is an inspiration here, and when we get to it, to the anime at the release, I'll talk more about that. So, later on, they had a manga covering the same things that the um, light novel covers from May 2013 to July 2017. I don't think they, they cover all of the light novel, but still, that, that's the same. Then there is the second manga, which is a spin-off called Shimaimo no Testament Storm which from the Wikipedia article talks about a um, side story of Maria Gurumi, who are two of the main characters, main heroines, we, we will get to that. Of the story, the run was from 2014 to 2016, September 2014 to August 2016, with five volumes. And then we get the anime. The anime 
was done by IMS Production, a production IMS, which I learned today researching for this as I it's one of the their biggest releases. Production IMS actually went bankrupt back in 2018, and this may explain one of the points I'll bring up later about this anime of the series. But so about the anime itself. The original run was from January 2015 to March 2015. Um, few, I think, six months from the third season of High School DxD, so came up a bit later, but still. With 12 episodes plus an OVA, I think there's more than one OVA on the first season. I, I don't I don't actually have it here with me, but still. Then we have the second season that was Shimaimao no Testament Burst that came out October 2015 to December 2015 with 10 episodes plus one OVA. Interesting to see that they took six months from one season to the next, but the second season for some reason had only 10 episodes. I think they held back a bit, and this is this is a thing that I will kind of talk about more later. I think they held back on the second season in order to make a special on another date, or there, there was some kind of matter that held back the last two episodes. I don't know what it would be, but then we get to the specialty of, they say OVA, but from what I gather, it is canon. That was Shimamoro no Testament Departures, which is uh, 60 minutes, if you want to say an episode or a movie, whatever, that came out on March 2018, so three years uh, later, basically, made by the same company and whatever. So now that we got stats out of the way, let me get to the stories. And this is the part where I need to actually add a disclaimer in broad strokes. I don't actually remember the story, I, and this is a thing. I kind of glossed over it again to in order to explain the story a bit. But the thing is, if I told you that I watched the whole two seasons, the 22 episodes plus the special, and I don't actually remember what happens in the story, you would not believe me. But let me tell you, and this is already part of my opinion. When I say that this is really close to High School DxD. It is shockingly close. The first season especially, it brings up the best aspects of the first and the second season of High School DxD. It has all the good vibes. I'll talk more about that later, but first let me introduce the story before I start talking in platitudes here. So, in the first episode we get to meet our main protagonist, Tojo Basara. And surprisingly, a fatherly figure, his his actual father, Dojo Jim. And the two of them live together. Basara's mother apparently passed away long, long after, long, long ago, after he was born, more or less. And we see them as Jim has remarried. And in, the, in this new marriage, he has acquired two daughters. Uh, Maria and Mio, who are sisters from for the f this first moment, and so there's this whole thing where at the at first Jin has to remind Basara that at this point they are family, so he gotta protect them and the whole protect something that's important, protect family and families. What you gotta not only protect but love and give love and the the whole 
nine yards of enemy that something to protect. Mio and Maria at this point become the something to protect for Basra. And until the last few minutes of the first episode, we don't actually get to see anything really. And just to as a point, their mother doesn't appear in the first episode because apparently she's she's traveling for work overseas and. Also, at the middle of the episode, uh, Jin has to also travel for work and whatever. So come comes the last few minutes of the episode. Actually, it turns out that Maria and me were not actually sisters, and they Jin actually didn't remarry. It was all a ploy for Maria and Miu to commandeer the house that Jin bought for them the four of them leaving, because apparently uh, Miu and Maria are the demons that have a mission and the whole thing comes apart, right? But when they try to mind control Basara out of the house, it actually turns out that Basara and Jin are from a heroes clan that is trained to kill demons, angels, um, other heroes apparently that later on we we get to that. But basically they are prepared for that and as it turns out uh, Jin was not really fooled, he was not actually deceived by Maria and Mio, he actually kind of knew it, uh, knew the whole the whole scheme and whatever. And then basically they get out of the house uh, Basara gets really angry, as one should, and rings his dad, and his dad basically explains the whole situation that apparently Mio is the lost daughter of the deceased demon lord, and that the current demon lord, the one that came after him, is from another faction, and basically there are a whole lot of demons and whoever else looking for Mio, trying to capture her because they either want her as a whole or the power that she holds within her that comes from the previous demon lord that is a really huge power, um, you know. And basically, at this point, Basara has to uh, make, make his first choice, although it's kind of led to, but he makes his first choice in protecting Mio and Maria, and just to clarify, uh, Mio is the daughter, Maria is basically, how can we say that without sounding wrong, she's basically someone sent from the faction of the previous demon lord to protect Mio in the human world, and then later on we get the whole flashback, this explanation of what happened to Mio to get to the point that she meets Maria, and what I'm trying to say here, uh, Basara saves Mio in this first episode because she obviously she gets attacked and then uh, they start living together and doing the whole the whole thing and this basically goes on this is the the setting for the whole series and for the most part the whole first season basically plays around this thing so Basara at this point transfers schools goes f for the same school as Mio Maria, interestingly, although she's a lolly and really, you would say she's a kid, she has an adult past, so she, basically if she's spotted by a guard and, or policeman and whatever, she will not be stopped because she's not skipping school actually, and 
basically, right? Um, so we get this first whole thing about Basara and Mio uh, living together and being... Uh, at this point, we know that Mio is the main love interest, let's say. And going to school, Basara meets one of his childhood friends, Nonaka Yuki, who is his childhood friend from the from the Heroes Clan and was basically sent into the city, into the normal world, let's say, as an observer for Mio because Mio, um, everybody knows, kind of, it's kind of an open secret that she is in the human world, but the demons at the very least don't, don't actually know her at this point, really. Although they do, but they don't. It's kind of strange why, given the, the length of time that she's been alone, how could they not capture her? But that's not for me to ask. It's something that just presents us. So basically, Yuki is just an observer for Mio, as you sh as one would in a heron setting. Obviously, Yuki has a love interest in Basara's She's in love with him, and basically, them from then on, Yuki and Mio start this beef because they are the two main waifus. And yeah, we <laughs> this, this is how the whole thing starts to shape up. The other notable figure in this cool setting is Tokigawa, who's the let's say the. Um, I'm not say partner in crime, but he's the male friend that Basara gets, and he becomes really more important towards the end of the first arc. So, before I get going, I need to at the very least explain how the first season's more or less organized. Uh, so basically, we end up the first season with three girls: Mio, Maria, and Yuki. And each of them has, uh, let's say, a four episode more or less minor arc. To then we get to the, um, to the end of the season. That is the end of Maria's arc, but still. So Mio is more or less the first four episodes. Yuki has the, from episode five to episode eight, and then Maria has the episode nine to episode twelve to basically resolve their inner, not the only their character development overall, but also the um, the questions that we get gotta settle in order to continue the story. So, uh, for the first four episodes, we get to see the development of Mio. So Mio becomes this tsundere at first, and it's kind of annoying, but this just stays for the first episode more or less. As soon as the second episode rolls around. We get to see the implementation of, oh my god, one of the best and at the same time worst plot devices they could ever imagine. It's basically the following thing. So, Maria and Mio are demons, and Maria especially is a succubus. And, oh my god, it's so funny how they do this, they implement these types of demons in this this kind of stories, but the succubus is the one that always stays put, and other demons are just other demons. It's just funny. The thing is, Amaria, and, and this is a trope that comes up 
regularly, I would say every episode, really. In the first season, it's more like every two episodes, but the, the second season, we get wild. The thing is, uh, Maria as a succubus, she is really perverted. And every time that she comes up with a scheme, is basically to force Mio and Basara to do lewd things. So, in the second episode, Maria, knowing that Mio is not good with magic and doesn't actually know how to control the power that she has within her, she's basically a dance on distress and she's defenseless. And Basara has to all the time protect her whenever something happens. So, in order to be less of a burden and basically hold her own ground, you gotta get strong, let's say. She she needs to be to get better, to get good, and one of the ways that Maria finds to do that is a master servant contract that basically means that and, and this is the the anime's words, okay? Yeah, I'm not making this up. The more the servant submits to the master, the stronger the stronger they become for some reason. And basically, being a succubus, Maria has, let's say, implemented a special spice on it. They played out like every kind of demon that does this kind of contract has their own spice. It's not something that they could like dodge. But Maria being a succubus in specific leads to the effects of the curse when it activates. The contract is a curse also, but whatever, they interchange that a lot. At this point, it, it doesn't really matter. The, f the thing is, when the, the curse activates, if there, there are some conditions to it to activate. But the, the, the important thing is that whenever it activates, Mio goes into a state of arousal way greater than anything the human world. That is to say that whenever Mio tries to be a tsundere again, she becomes a deredere and the anime almost becomes a hentai. And quick side note, this is important for this one. When I said at the beginning that this one especially is not really recommended, uh, I mean it, because this one will be the one that if people get you, uh, get to see you watching it, they will think you are actually watching hentai. It's so much so that I had to research if the studio had at any point done uh, hentai before, because first off, this show shows a lot of boobies, a whole lot, and it's not even funny. The, the amount of boobage shown on, the, on this anime is really high. It, it's really, really high. Not only that, but as the story progresses, they get more and more fetishes. In, and I'll talk more about this on the second season. But is it to say that the connotations are, are really, really strong? I mean, in High School DxD... Uh, whenever Issei would, I don't know, grow Pridias or push her nipples in the second season, whatever, there would be, uh, let's say, a limit to it. That, that, that there would be, um, this is the maximum loot of where we can get it. In Shimaima Ono Testament, 
there is no limit. They go really far. It is really, really low. They they do a whole lot of stuff. Not only that, right? But also, it becomes really lewd. <laughs> it becomes somewhat, uh, let's say, at some points, it kind of drags on too much. On my opinion, in 2023. I, I remember that the first time I watched this, I, I fucking loved it. The, the, the whole thing was revolutionary. The whole concept. Oh my god, this is High School DxD, but way looter and the animation's kind of more competent. But the thing is, right, the, oh, it's it really, really, really seems like a, a hentai. And it, it is not because they always just, just stick to the boobies and above the waist is the, the let's say, the safe space. But... Easy to say, it is a, a major point of the anime. That being said, from from the second episode on, so Miyu has this quirk where she tries to be snarky, she tries to go against Basara for some reason, or whenever things kind of become kind of... the stakes kind of get high, they always mention the curse as something that may be a threat to Miyu. It's somewhat ironic that Maria implants this, this curse on Miyu and then it becomes a liability in the end of the season. But it is never mentioned again, so whatever. So, basically, uh, we get these four episodes of Miyu resolving her own inner demons, the... She building this trust with Basara and eventually with Yuki to be uh, Basara as her other brother. And yes, they do lose. I will talk more about that later. But basically, he as a brother and Yuki as a friend and rival kind of kind of deal. They don't start out playing nice with one another, but eventually they kind of do. And at the end of her mini arc, we get to see this reassurement of uh, Mio trusting Basara more. We get to see uh, Mio actually kind of understanding her powers more. And the one thing that is really, let's say, plot advancing is that actually Tokigawa was. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. I think it's Takigawa, but I don't actually. Remember, the thing is, Takigawa um, turns out to be an observer for the demons, the the current demon lord, and forcefully sends Mio to the demon realm. <laughs> That's basically it. it. Sends Mio for the demon realm. It comes up later, the at the end of the the second arc. But well, the the thing is. It turns out that Takigawa is part of the bad guys. The second arc is a whole thing where actually Yuki has a duty as the observer for the, the Demon Lord daughter. And the, the clan has their own, let's say, ways. It is really archaic. The, they receive... Uh, messages through pigeons and whatever but the thing is um yuki is ordered to basically stand down for her from her duties and the clan 
sends out, I think, three people to basically to reinforce her uh, air quotes on that, but basically to apprehend Mio and Basada because Basada is actually part of the hero clan, but he's actually uh, an exile because there is this accident that happened. When Basara was a kid, that got him exiled because a whole lot of people died because of him, more or less. The thing is, they send out three people to basically apprehend Mio and Maria. The two guys, I don't actually remember their names, they are not really important for the plot. The one that actually, actually is important is Yuki's sister, Yuki sister Nonaka Kurumi. That, uh, as it turns out, also has a crush on Basara, and at the start is really, let's say, skeptical. She's questioning uh, not only the decision that Yuki is side with Basara in terms of protecting Mio, but also questioning the the um, will of Basara to protect Mio because she's a demon and he's a hero and the whole thing. So they they bring up this whole moral conundrum. To the story but it doesn't actually matter at the end of the day um, the arc ends basically with Yuki basically how can I say that despising the orders of the clan and basically whatever I'm just here to observe and do the stuff and I will protect Basara and Mew because they, he's my crush and she's my friend and she starts living with them too um, not only that but she's more of the who did it type more the um, emotionalist type much like somewhat like Koneko but not really it's I think the best parallel I could draw is Origami from Date Alive at the start before season 4 I, I have not uh, reviewed any season of Date Alive besides the first one but if you if you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. She, she's basically Origami before season 4. Season 4, Origami kind of changes a bit. The, the thing is, um, so Yuki is the childhood friend and this kind of more uh, emotionless kind of archetype. But at the same time, she knows that she is, let's say, behind on the race for Basara's heart. And she is trying desperately to catch up to him. So much so that she proposes to Maria to do the, the servant, the master servant contract with her. And so basically, at this point, Pasara gets two servants, Mio and Yuki. And when one gets jealous of the other, the curse activates. And then every time one of them starts being snarky, both of them going to going to hit more or less and you you can already see where this is going right and not only that but the, the way that they do the ceremony the um, whole master and servant thing for yugi specifically uh maria always has this quirk where whenever she gets these uh, schemes to make vasara uh, go at someone she always gets cosplayed together with it for some reason, I mean, she's a pervert, but you you know what I'm saying. The um, the outfit she gets for Yuki to do the the, the ceremony at th that point, I, I just said to myself and and thought, oh my god, 
this anime is genius. Like, who wouldn't like this? <laughs> I mean, it's so, so out there. So, uh, not so much out there, but oh my god, they go at such lengths to give some fan service to the to the audience that I, I was just, I was just impressed at that point. I thought, oh my god, this these guys know what they're doing. And basically, right, uh, they get the contract done, we get um, the whole arc done, and basically the guys go back to the village, to the clan village. Kurumi at this point starts thinking better of Basara because she started the arc, questioning him, his will, his uh, intentions, and at the end of it, she kind of warms up to the idea of protecting them because she also wants to be protected or something. The guys, the, the, the actual guys, don't take it too well, although Basara ends up having to save them in the middle of it because one of them has a spiritual weapon that goes wild. The thing is, the Arkans, uh, Yuki is now living with Basara and Mio, and they kind of started a better relationship at this point. Next, so... The fourth, the the last arc of the first season basically starts um, with the review of Takeawa being the bad guy and actually trying to seize Mio and, and so on and so forth. Not only that, but it, it comes out that Maria actually betrayed everyone because she misled people and basically she misled uh, Mio into being captured. As it turns out, Maria actually betrays me with something that wasn't thinkable till now, because there's this this major demon that Maria has been forced to work with because he has captured her mother and is holding her hostage. So basically, Maria is under duress to save her mother, more to guarantee that her mother is not killed by this other demon, and the guy is. Basically, part of the uh, part of the council, the court of the current demon lord, and one of the rules that demon lord imposes is that they do not tr- the the demons of the council do not try to capture Mio outside of his his orders. So, and, and the guy captures her. So already you, you can see that he's not doing them. Let's say he's not playing by his own rules. He's bad with his side and our side, because he, he not only he disobeys the Demon Lord, he also captures Mew. I mean, capturing Mew is bad either way, but he's bad with both sides. He He's all bad. That's the, the whole thing. And he's a kind of special demon that works with mind control magic, more or less. He amplifies despair and pleasure and whatever. The connotations of... I'll break you, and I mean, at this point, if you watch this series, you you can kind of see where this is going. When he gets um, Mio chained, you you know the the connotations is they they are actually going to do it. But uh, obviously, the pot convenience will always uh, save Mio at the last second, whatever. And at this point, the 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 whole arc boils down to. Now that Mio and Maria are going to the demon world because Maria apparently betrayed Basara and Mio is captured, Basara talks to Takegawa 
to because at this point Takagawa is a bad guy, but he's more of a chaotic neutral kind of guy. And also he's like a double agent that's also a triple agent for some reason. He doesn't actually take sides. The, the thing is, he will take whatever side the author wants him to and help Basara whenever there's a need to a demon to help Basara. That, that's the whole thing. So uh, Basara basically contracts uh, Takegawa to transport him to the demon world and basically make a whole distraction in order to enter the um, this uh, domain of the, this major demon that Mio is being held in and from then on uh, fight his way out and find Mio and rescue them, her and Maria it's really cute that at this point in time, we see that um, the spirit of the protagonist is not lost in Basara. The, the anime is rude and all, but they they keep this this the tight shape of having that good feeling of protect uh, having to protect something and doing everything to protect that something that's important to you. So. And Basara always says he will save everyone. I don't care. I will save both Mio and Maria. I don't care that Maria betrayed me. She she has her own reasons. And later on, he discovers that she um, before the the whole arc ends and the whole thing happens, he decides to save her. Also because he eventually discovers that um, her mother is being held in the same castle. So he wants to help. That's the thing. Um. So the the final part of the whole season is this entrance in the castle, uh, Maria being kind of forced to mind break Basara with her succubus powers. Uh, Basara kind of resisting it more or less, and Maria trying to fight him, although he does not give up, and the whole. Uh, leave it to me, I'll solve everything and whatever. As it turns out, the, uh, the bad guy was really strong. And they kind of don't win out at the end of it. The Basara has all, obviously one trick up his sleeve. That is this uh, forbidden um, movement that he'll kind of learn air quotes here that basically negates all magic and the thing is right so they eventually defeat the bad guy and don't kill him at first he escapes the castle the castle actually turns out to be a modified extra dimensional creature something like uh, uh, Cthulhu Jr. I would say and basically, this organism will continue expanding until he destroys the whole dimension. But as it turns out, Basara uses the special um, move, uh, his special move on the the organism's core, and destroys it. What's important from this is that they rescue Miu. Maria is absolved of all her. Um, 
all her crimes because they she was under duress. Um, Takigawa as also known as Lars in his demon form, let's say, um, helps um, Maria's mother to escape, and so basically every everyone's saved, everyone's happy, and also Basara meets who will become one of the, the one of the harem. Uh, Zesto, uh, Zest. I don't actually know how they they pronounce this in English. Uh, the, the the subtitle says Zest, and they they call her Zesto, so I'll call her Zesto. Um, there is a organic kind of homunculus kind of deal that the, this major demon created just for fun, uh, so much so that we get to see her fight her other uh, experiments she's the only one that actually um, gave results the other ones were either uh, defective um, physically or they didn't have the um, normal let's say con cognitive ability of a normal person uh, let's uh, they were just beasts that uh, that's what i mean um, and then at the end then of the season, we get to see this, also this high point, I would say, of the whole anime, that it shows that this anime is kind of more edgy than High School DxD, which, in my humble opinion, is an improvement, I would say, they... It actually comes out that Lars uh, Takegawa is was actually an orphan way back when in the Demon World, and he he was orphaned because someone killed his parents and whatever. And the whole thing is um, Takegawa lived in an orphanage for a really long time. With a whole lot of other children and the caretakers there, they don't actually specify who the caretakers were, but we uh, this is implied. And the orphanage got attacked for some reason at some point by the same demon that captured Neo. And so, when Basara contracted Takigawa to help with this plan of uh, getting him to enter the castle and also to save Maria's mother is the fact that Takigawa wanted to kill the, the demon with his own hands. And it, the scene is kind of pretty dark. The, the, so basically Takigawa is sitting there with the guy for hours, torturing him, until Basara basically just walks in, says, Hi there, and what are you doing there? I would ju I'm just here to check on your death. And then the guy gets his head exploded. So, kind of edgy. I think it's in general improvement, but I will talk more about that in my opinion. So before I start with the second season, I have to put some some things here. So the the accident that Basara had in his infancy is kind of a big deal because he he's the only uh, heroin protagonist that has PTSD about this thing because we find out 
through Yuki's arc and how much they talk about how he killed a lot of people that Basara basically the sword he wields because it's a demon sword and at some point it had sealed a major demon the demon had controlled someone in the clan the guy grabbed the sword was killing some people Basara entered in the mix of it did something that exploded the power on the sword and basically caused a major explosion in the valley they lived in killing a lot of people in the process and basically scarring him for life with this the knowledge that he killed a lot of people by accident but still and he has ptsd about it it comes up again and again and basically it's something that comes up later as um as a trauma to be overcome. But simple to say, the second season doesn't actually have that much story, so whatever. So, the second season, I don't actually know how I would divide it, really. There is basically one or two episodes that happen in Nerf, and then the rest of it is in the demo. So, um, the first, I think, two episodes, the first episode's basically thrown out the window, the first, first thing that happens in the first episode is Jin, um, Basara's father, coming up to the new demon lord, fighting him because he, Jin is really pissed that he attacked Basara and, and the girls, but also then to measure the demon lord's power, let's say. And then also the first episode, what else happens? Uh, we get to meet a whole lot of, whole lot of people and whatever. The ones... The one that actually moves the story more and is really someone of notice is the nurse of the school. I don't actually remember her name, but henceforth she's referred as Sensei or the nurse, the, just to get this over. So we get this whole introduction that although she doesn't actually seem magic, magic at first, she is magic. And she has some relationship with magic, that's what I'm trying to say. And we get this whole kind of little mystery about what oh, what's she plotting, why she at school. She apparently is aiming for Basara for some reason. And then the and at the same time there is the not the cultural festival, but the sports festival happening so for like the race obviously the um, formation of the four-legged race is Mio, Basara, and Yuki, for obvious reasons. The whole thing boils down to, at the, in the middle of the, the sports festival, there's this huge attack of uh, random people using magic, so apparently there are there's someone mind-controlling people into using magic, people that are not magic themselves, but they can kind of channel magic, and then... We get the big reveal. There is another teacher in the school that actually they call them goddesses. Um, it's basically a sentient mech. I I don't actually know how to say. It. They are the goddess clan. So they basically explain that uh, much like in High School DxD, there is the division of demons in hell and the goddesses in heaven. But God, God is one of the gods and not the god, but. What I'm trying to say. And the heroes are the ones that destined to protect humanity from the demons, apparently. And they do this distinction just to uh, give the premise for why they attacked specifically Basara and Mio in the first season. The 
The thing is, there are, there's this god, this god trying to kill Basara for some reason. And when we find out he almost kills him, he gets his right arm sh chopped off. And when this happens... Uh, the nurse enters the room, wrecks this guy, and the guy just like, oh no, it's because I love you, and he, he, Basara, is not worth of your, of your worries, of your effort, you should uh, come back to the heavens and whatever, and then there's this whole cryptic, cryptic dialogue where she says that uh, because of Basara's mother, she needs to take care of him and whatever the, the whole thing is really blown out what comes out of it is that the and also i i skipped a bit but just let me finish this this first little work the basically the nurse wrecks this this god the guy dies and she basically saves basara because at this point we find out that basara actually has a hidden power within him, and it's basically because of the sword he's using that is Brunhilder, which is the most fierce sword, and she needs sacrifices. Basically, she needs to kill people, and basically the whole things boil down to this. Though he basically activates his uh, sudden power, much like a, a Forteo QB and she just tames him back into being the normal him. Modifies his memories because she wants to protect his mental state, more or less. And then also memory erases the whole school that was attacked by this magical stuff. That being said, uh, let me roll back a bit. The OVA for the first season is kind of important. The OVA for the first part is one of the schemes of Maria and, and Mio, uh, one of the schemes of Maria towards Mio, but it doesn't actually end in anything. Though. It's kind of gross. The first part, basically, the first part of the, the OVA, right, is basically Maria randomly enters Mio's room and she she's sleeping and Maria has this magical camera kind of deal that can watch the dreams of people sleep you can just for me saying that if you at the very least watched two episodes of the series you know what i'm going with this and this oh obviously that happens but that's not the reason that the first the first part is gross the first part is gross because it ends up with a funcha line where basara unironically eats one of mio's under one of the mio's paints and boy that's Oh, that's a really hard scene to watch. It it breaks the suspension of disbelief really hard. But at the very least, I laughed, I think. But, I mean, kind of bad. Uh, it's an OVA. The, the thing is, the thing is, the, the what I'm going to talk about, actually. The second part is, for some reason, Basara meets the, the nurse for some reason. And ends up in her house and... They have dinner, and things escalate from there. So, and there's this connotation from before the, at the middle of the first season that she's already magical and she has some connection to Basara, but the OVA kind of consolidates that into uh, she likes Basara 
a lot. She is not part of the harem, but she's like the the guilt pleasure outside of the harem, let's say. But they they kind of play it out because the um, OVA basically ends up with her erasing his memories. So there is the previous knowledge of the audience that she can actually uh, re erase memories. So that being said, so those this whole arc of the sports festival and the guy the god attacking the school is done then the second thing that happens really fast that there is this one random demon that comes out from the demon world to uh, basically try to capture Mew again the guy gets his arm chopped off by Vasara with the his special move but the guy leaves and returns to talk to the current demon lord about it and basically spoil the the technique of his opponent to his boss. The this doesn't actually have much impact, but still, the um, and this is the part where that I needed to talk about before because the first season is the book of the story. The second season, as I said at the beginning, I can actually remember what the fuck happens there because oh my god! The as I said, the first season had the the right feel down to a science. It was wholesome scene into loot scene into battle scene into wholesome scene into loot scene, and so on and so forth. The, that was the cycle and it had the timings right. They had uh, some of the best harem content you could ask for. It was wholesome enough to say it is kind of cute. The loot parts were really loot, but in a good way. At this point, you would not say that it was exaggerated. The thing was okay. The whole the whole loot of contract curse that activates the succubus, the uh, Maria's scheme every other time and the the whole thing, it felt natural. It felt good and it felt like a real anime. The second season they just screwed it up, they doubled down the lewdness and threw out the, the wholesomeness out the window and then we got this whole thing where it's either loot scene or battle scene, there's no in between really. And if there is, the scene has one to two minutes of, anim of whole animation. We cut out then to loot scene or battle scene that's the whole thing and this goes for 10 episodes so much so that i don't actually remember what the fuck happens what i can tell you is that mio is summoned to go to the underworld because at this point maria's mother is working under the guy that is taking care of the faction of the old demon lord and basically they want to see their princess back because mio is the princess and also because the current demon lords is plotting something, so they want them there for some reason. But then everyone from all the sides gets to know that Mio is in the demon world, and then she becomes an easy prey for everyone. And a whole lot of stuff happens. The city that they are on gets attacked. In the midst of it, Zesto gets the master servant contract from Maria's mother that basically ends up with the same effect just 
Quick side note, uh, Maria's mother, Shella, best character in the whole anime, no questions asked. Uh, because she, oh my god, I, I need to look up the voice actress name, she does it so well, it's funny. The, the thing is, back to it, I, I don't actually remember, and I'm not joking, there is no story really to talk about here. The whole thing just happens so quick in a, such a weird manner that you don't actually get to remember it. Because again, every one bit of story, that there are at the very least three bits of lewdness and one bit of, of battle. You don't actually know what the hell is happening here. The, the thing is, the whole, the whole uh, situation is that the city gets attacked, they resolve it, they try to dissuade the, the current demon lord from attacking again. The current demon lord doubles down and basically creates this mini tournament to just uh, flex on the, the other faction. Basically says, oh, if I win, I'm the ruler, and if you win, you're the ruler. But obviously, I, I will kind of cheat, but not really. Because the as it turns out, the current demon lord is actually righteous. He may not have the best uh, methods, but he's righteous. And... Then Basara's father appears also because he, uh, Basara at the very least needs training. Everybody needs training because they, they're weak and they are going to fight really strong people and whatever. And then we get to also see that the current demon lord has this dispute of power with the demon council that it's part of the demon government. It doesn't actually runs well in my head because if there's a king there's no council but there's a council there's a king I, I don't I don't see how that works I don't think there's a place on earth that works like like that still you either has a you either have a council or a king there's no in between the thing is we find out that actually the bad bad guys are the councilmen and their lackeys and then there's this whole thing the tournament happens the everybody kind of wins Basara goes on a side quest to kill one of the followers of the bad guy of the first season just so he cannot fight on the tournament and fight Mio somewhat. I don't actually know if that was what happened. Uh, really, I'm just seeing whatever I remember that happens because the, the they set up a lot of things but they never really delivered. I'll get to that. The thing is, the... Um, Season ends with basically they kill all the councilmen. The current demon lord becomes kind of a more play nice with the guys of the that are the faction of the old demon lord. They kind of make amends. The demon realm, the demon realm war is ended. Mio can return to to earth and live like a normal person because apparently there will not be anyone chasing her again. But that's obviously not true. Basara gets Zesto to be a mainstay of the harem. I also I <laughs> I skipped this part. Uh, Kurumi Yuki's sister also starts living with Basara, and I think that's basically it. Um, there are also um, there is also the introduction of the Demon Lord's sister that is basically more powerful than Basara's father, who at this point is the most powerful person in the series, but that doesn't actually come up. And basically the season ends with everybody happy and going back to Earth. So then we get special, and just to be really brief about it, 
The special is just a big setup for what would be a third season. Basically, 60 minutes, they basically extend a normal episode of the second season over 60 minutes, so if a normal episode has 20 minutes and it, it is divided between lewd, wholesome and battle, although it's not really that, it's more like 60% lewd and 40% battle, something like that. The special is basically 50% lewd uh, between the girls, the harem, really, and also the nurse that appears, and like 10 minutes of battle and actually setting up to go to the hero village because that that's the main main theme to set up here the a message comes from the hero village to basically a comeback message to yuki and kurumi and also bring basara and mio here with you and so there is the setup where basara has to actually face off with the demons that he he has within him he has to face his trauma in the place that he unfortunately had this accident. And basically that's it. There is just the setup and them going out. The credits even show off a design someone that would become uh, someone, a major character in the third season. But then I'll cut here and cut out directly to my opinion. The notes for the show and also what what the hell happened here because you you wouldn't do a special to set up a third season and the third season ne never comes up so first let, let's just talk to to why there is no third season it's pretty simple really the special came out in march 2018 ims production went bankrupt in october 2018 it's it's a given more or less, it's really rare to an anime to jump to another studio midway. I mean, it's not really, really rare, but it's uncommon. And in general, it's not well received by the audience in general. From what I could find, the general sales for Shimaimaru no Testament Burst and the special subsequently uh, were not good enough to uh, first to bring IMS productions uh, up to speed and also didn't didn't pick the interest of anyone to actually adapt into a third season which is which is a bummer i i wish there was a third season i i hate i hate when the when the studio set up for the third season with something like this with basically they did a, what i would call two episodes special about setting up for this but at the same time the um, in general setting up for a season that never comes is really heartbreaking i oh my god i have this with high school of the dead that famously has the ova the last seconds of the ova arisu talks about the next adventure but there is no next adventure also with infinite stratos which has the word purge ram special that is mostly fan service but also sets up the continuation for season 3 although again that would be never season 3 infinite stratos at the very least is not a lost cause i st copium but yeah it's not really a lost cause i think the, the thing is the 
it is really heartbreaking to see that that they had they took their time to set up the third season but the third season would never come the studio went under which is also a bummer i hope all their their employees got decent jobs right after that everybody would would wish something like that because at the very least you i mean i'm criticizing the second season because it's uh, exaggerated and really 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 i cannot say overload but it goes way overboard with how much fan service they actually put on it i don't think that's a hot take i think it, it's a, a fairly decent analysis of the whole thing and basically the i like the anime a lot in general the, the animation as i already said is fairly competent the, the battle scenes are fairly competent the art style in specific i feel like it's one of the i'll not say it's one of the most beautiful i've ever seen but it is really stylistic and really beautiful at that at being stylized the way they they are it's somewhat um the ballpark of the familiar but also he has a kind of special flair of himself of itself and it really shines through that's that's the point the not only the animation but the art's pretty good the music not nothing to write home about but the openings especially i feel like they are made by the same people that made the data live openings i i don't actually know if that's true but it feels like it i did not have the enough interest to to actually search this out so let me talk about the general notes of the this whole anime because at this point it's been one hour and 17 minutes of recording and oh my god so basically the anime is pretty okay in the first season the story is okay the setting is okay as i already said it's one of the f- few heroin anime that a, a parental figure appears and has a, a major role although supporting but major role in the plot the um, the matter with Pasara having PTSD about his accident is at the very least a really welcome addition to a trope that gen- uh, character that would be in other anime pretty bland pretty standard let's say him not being outright a pervert also is kind of refreshing at this point because in 2015 I would not say that franchise fatigue was going was going on but I, I can at the very least say that it was something that people were already self-conscious about at this point we had so much uh, similar anime of high school dxd as the main focus point uh, i at this point i already covered uh, not only the first three seasons of high school dxd but also of trinity 7 and dakarabuku which were really 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 close together and this one came up a bit too late on my humble opinion the thing is and this comes from personal experience in some ways as someone who let's say appreciates yosuga no soda for what it is and knows the idea behind that anime i i like shimaima no testament because it kind of marries the the things that i like although the, the implementation i can say it's pretty shoddy the the battle action kind of 
more fight-focused anime with romance that doesn't actually ends with just that that really uh, surface level romance and actually goes into a more greedy more more sexual more deep kind of deal it it is something i i i look for in the story and this kind of delivers it really kind of but i mean it's an implementation it's shoddy at the beginning it seems more plot relevant and then the second season basically dissuades that notion putting it up whenever they can so much so that as i already said it covers up the story i don't actually remember what the fuck was happening because the most of the season was just me seeing boobs not that that's a problem but at some points the the scenes dragged on so much that i thought to myself god damn it just make a goddamn hentai already why are you holding back? Like, you already got the voice actors doing all the work. You already got the animators doing all this softcore shit. Why wouldn't you just do a goddamn hentai? Obviously, it's because it would not sell well. They could not transmit on television, I think. A normal television, at the very least. But at the same time, if this came up to America unsent- fully uncensored, I would not doubt that this would be R-rated. You know what I mean? A quick side note on the censored kind of deal. It is really hard to find this one uncensored. Uh, just a heads up if you want to, to watch it. The second season especially is really, really hard to find uncensored. Well, that that's the side note. So, a bit about the characters. Uh, Yuki, I don't have many things to say about her. Uh, I like Miu a lot. And this is the part where I need to actually stop and, and say that seriously. In the second season especially, as Kurumi is entering the fray as one part of the heron and Zesto too, but Zesto is not directly uh, symptomatic of this, but it, it's somewhat but still. As I already said in other reviews, the one thing that keeps a harem a harem and keeps up it being interesting is the what I call the harem factor. That is that each girl has to fulfill a certain role inside of the harem. So you gotta have your tsundere, your derederi, your kudere, and so on and so forth. And for the most part, this anime does that. Uh, so Miu starts out as the tsundere, Yuki is the kudere, and Maria is the derederi more or less. And later on... It kind of changes a bit with the introduction of Kurumi and Zesto. Zesto doesn't actually add to the heroin factor, but she kind of adds just for the, let's say, the Gyaru factor. A, a role in a heroin that is not actually present in a whole lot of anime and manga that you see, but somewhat present in some of them. The thing is... And this is the the important part that I'm trying to get to. I don't know if the author did this. I don't know if the studio did this. I don't know who did this. But the thing is, they also got to dump all of the, not all, but some fetishes from the author. And it is clear, it is clear. I will not specify that 
and I can prove it. I can prove it. If you go to the second season and see any of the loot scenes where Kurumi and Maya are involved, you see it. At that moment, you see what I'm talking about. I don't actually need to talk about here. Thing is, the final, final verdict for my analysis at the very least. This anime is mostly... Uh, why, why didn't it... First, why does it fit on this series? Because, me, as I already said all every time, Harem, Hichi, shows a whole lot of boobs. Boobs have somewhat plot relevance sometimes. The main heroine is a redhead with connections to demons. As it would, unironically, Mio is the princess of the demon world. Or as it is. I mean, the connections there. And, well, that's why it fits on. The, the whole thing is really... It really reminds you of it. Of the, the originator, the High School DxD. And why don't we have a third season? I have a theory, and this is my theory, that they really put a whole lot of uh, eggs in the specials basket. They really thought this would pump up the sales, I think. From what I could find, the studio was going under already by the end of 2017, but they still scrounged up something to put out the special. I really wish we had the third season just for me to talk about it. Just because, because, as I already said, I like this anime. Although it's exaggerated as fucking the second season, the, the first season was good. The first season, uh, really, really the same vibe of the first season of High School DxD. Really that same, uh, same feeling that made me want more. The first season was really on point. Second season, they, they exaggerated and came up too late for get on the almost hentai bandwagon but as I already said that's not the focus the focus is this anime is pretty okay and that's basically it so before I go even further thank you for listening thank you for support if you if you like what I do if you like the show if you like this rant that I do <laughs> please like please follow please subscribe depending on the platform you're in please join the discord and I hope you stick around and see you next time. Bye.